be reading this morning from 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 23, uh, New American Standard. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you, let them seek a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you, that he shall play the harp with his hand, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the flock. Jesse took a donkey and loaded with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David, his son. Then David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor-bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So it came about, whenever this evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand. And Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. Good morning. We're studying the book of 1 Samuel, and we've been following through the life of Saul as he's been king. But as we saw way back in chapter 13, God said, you are no longer going to be king. In verse 14 of chapter 13, Samuel says to Saul, because of his disobedience. Now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. You see, what God seeks is a man after God's own heart. A man or a woman who has a heart like God. For example, like our banner says. That's how it could be translated a man after God's heart, a heart according to God, or a heart like God's. But what does that kind of heart look like? What does God really want from us? If you look at David's life and compare it to Saul's life outwardly, there's not a whole lot of difference. Both of them won great victories in battle. Both of them were murderers. Both of them did bad things. (laughs) Yet God says that David's heart is a heart like his, a heart after his heart. And Saul is rejected as king. Well, what does it mean then to have a heart like God's? We all blow it. We all fail sometimes. So what God is saying about our hearts being most important is very important for us to understand. So we know how to be God's men and women today, how to live in a way that truly pleases God. Well, in the passage that was just read to you, we learn a lot about David's heart. If you look at the big picture of 1 Samuel, the author of 1 Samuel 
introduces David three different major times. I think that's very purposeful. I think he wants us to learn something about David and who he is from the way he gets introduced. The very first introduction was last week in the passage Rod taught where we get introduced to him and notice verse 11 of chapter 16. Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? Remember, Samuel had come to anoint the new king and it said it's one of Jesse's sons. Well, seven sons had come by. And Jesse says, it's not one of these. It's got to be one of these. And Samuel says, well, isn't there another one? And so in verse 11, Samuel says, are these all the children? He said, well, there remains yet the scrawny one. (laughs) Behold, he's tending the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Interesting that the first introduction of David is that he's insignificant in the family. He's a little brat who gets sent out to be with the sheep all day because we don't want him around the house. Let's get rid of him. So the first thing you learn about David is he's rejected by his own family. He describes that in Psalm 27. One of the wonderful psalms he wrote where he says, verse 10, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. So the first thing we learn about David is he hung out with the sheep all day, rejected by his own family. The second introduction of David is in our passage today where we learn something very significant about his heart for God. The third introduction is in next week's passage. Chapter 17, where he kills Goliath and we learn that he's a great man of faith. He's a warrior. But notice that's put last. Because I think the author of 1 Samuel wants us to understand what's really most important about David. So today we'll see what it means to have a heart after God. So we can, we can develop a heart like David. And ultimately, a heart like God. So let's pray, and then we'll look together at this text. Lord, you make it clear that what you look at is not the outward appearance, but the heart. And you want us to have a heart after you like David. By your Spirit, open the eyes of our heart that we might understand what it means to have a heart after you so we might develop that kind of heart ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to step back one verse from our section today and read verse 13 to set the context of what's going on here. It says, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah, Then verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. (laughs) Anybody want to explain that to me, what's going on there? (laughs) It does seem confusing, huh? I mean, God sends an evil spirit on Saul? What in the world is God doing here? Does God be the is he the author of evil? Well, of course not. 
Of course not. So what's really going on here? Well, let me say, I just want to clarify for you that anybody who might be confused, this has nothing to do with losing your salvation or anything like that. See, in the Old Testament, God would send His Spirit on someone when He wanted to use them for a special purpose. He sent them on the workers in the tabernacle and in the temple to give them special gifts. He anointed Saul for special purposes and other people for special times when he wanted to use them for his purposes in special way. But in the Old Testament, typically the Spirit did not stay on a person all their lives. It's very unusual what's said about David in verse 13, that the Spirit came up on him from that day forward. But as New Testament believers, since Jesus has come and risen, every time we pray to receive Christ, He indwells us permanently. And the Spirit cannot, cannot be taken away. We need to know that. So that's the context for us. But what is going on here? Well, I think the author's making it very clear there's a transfer of power by God. The Spirit is given to David and the Spirit is taken away from Saul. He's disobeyed God. He's been removed essentially as king. Even though he actually reigns as king for a number of more years, he's really lost God's support for his kingship. So that's part of what's going on here. And if you think about it, it says that God gave an evil spirit to terrorize Saul. That means to cause fear in him. Think about Saul, everything we've learned about him so far, and it will be even magnified in the days ahead as we look at his life. What stands out about him? What does he live by? What guides him in life? From the first time we met him on, fear, fear. First time we met Saul, he was to be king. And where do we find him? Hiding in the baggage. All along, he says, well, I had to disobey God because I feared the people. I feared this. I feared that. You see, Saul was a man who lived by fear. So when God sends an evil spirit, it shows, first of all, that God is absolutely sovereign. He controls the spiritual world. Remember Job chapter 1? Satan can't do anything to Job without God's permission. And what God does is allow him to do certain things to Job, but he uses it for a greater purpose. And that's what God is doing here. He allows the Spirit to come on Saul for a greater purpose. It's God's way of getting David, who's out with the sheep, into the very court of Israel, the court of the king himself. God has a greater purpose in that. And because Saul is a man who lives by fear, all that God is doing to him is saying, you've chosen to live by fear. Let me give you over to that. Let me show you the consequences of living by something else other than faith. If you choose to live by fear, this is what it looks like in your life. God does that in our world, doesn't he? It says in Romans chapter 1, God gave them over because mankind has chosen other idols, rejected God. It says God gives us over to those so we can see the consequences of that and be drawn back to Him. It's an act of grace when God does that. And I think God is being gracious to Saul, giving him an opportunity to turn back when he sees the extent of the damage when you choose to live by fear 
rather than faith. So what do we learn about David's heart as we go on here? Well, first, and what jumps out at this in this passage, and I think is really significant and the author wants to emphasize the most, is that David is a worshiper of God. He has a worshiping heart, a worshiping heart. What do we see first about David's heart? What gets him into the royal court? Why is he invited in now to be with Saul? Not because he's a warrior, but because he's a skillful musician who knows how to play, how to worship, ultimately. (laughs) His first skill is as a musician. I want to show you a picture. It was shown in the... uh, when we were singing songs out on the side. This is a canor. This is the harp that David played. He would carry it on his back when he went out with the sheep and then he'd pull it out and he would play. But we know that he wasn't just playing music. We know that David was writing psalms, right? Because we have many, many of his psalms. At least 73 of the 150 psalms are attributed to David and probably more were written by him as well. So he... He is a worshiper. He would be out there playing among the sheep. He had nothing else to do. He was rejected by his family. And in that place of pain, he wrote laments. He wrote psalms of praise. He wrote psalms like probably Psalm 23 when he was out there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He restores my soul. And think about as he sings that song to Saul. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. The beginning of Psalm 27, he may have sung to Saul. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this I shall be confident. Verse 6, And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. David in that psalm declares, this is what I will do. I've committed myself to be a worshiper, to sing songs of praises to God, to not fear because I'm declaring my confidence in Him. What you see is out there in the wilderness with a sheep, rejected by his own mother and father, rejected by his family, David developed a heart of worship. A heart where he learned to be honest with God. To share his pains, his hurts. And to turn and praise God and sing songs to him. There's a great depth in his relationship with God. You see, it's in your and my times of being in the desert, taken out in the wilderness, experiencing rejection and pain and affliction in our lives that God wants to draw us and develop in us a heart of worship, a heart that learns to turn to Him and praise Him and live in His presence even in the hardest of times. 
I like the words of Brother Lawrence, a great classic 17th century follower of Christ, The Practice of the Presence of God, wonderful little devotional book. He says this, We must always keep our eyes on God and His glory in all we do, say, or undertake. May the goal toward which we strive be to become perfect worshipers of God in this life, just as we hope to be throughout all eternity. And in this little book, The Practice of the Presence of God, Brother Brother Lawrence talks about how you can become a worshiper of God no matter what you're doing. For 15 years, he lived in a monastery and was the dishwasher. (laughs) All day long, that's what he did. He washed dishes. But in that, he developed this ability to practice the presence of God, no matter what he was doing, to talk to him, to worship him, to sing to him, to praise him, to honor him, to share his heart with him. And that's a wonderful picture of what God wants us to develop in our hearts, a heart of worship, to practice the presence of God, to be with him. Two days ago, I had the privilege of conducting a funeral for Juanita Ellis. She was 91 years old. Almost eight years ago, I did her husband's funeral, Bert. And Bert was in a care center just a few days before he died. I went to see him and he said, I've got to get out of here. (laughs) I said, what do you mean, Bert? He said, when you've lived with your best friend for 67 years, you can't stand to be apart. All he wanted to do was be back with his beloved Juanita. Shortly after that, he passed away. A few weeks ago, Juanita was in the hospital. I went to see her. Juanita said, with a big smile on her face, if I go, I get to be with Bert. (laughs) If I stay, I get to be with my kids. Either way, I win. (laughs) She's with her beloved Bert right now. How do you develop that kind of love for one another and intimacy over 67 years? Not many people do that. It's by spending time together, being devoted to one another, devoted to spending time and growing in your relationship together. What a marvelous picture for us of having a heart of worship with the Lord. That's what he wants for us, is that we'd be devoted to spending time with him, like David was in the wilderness, singing to him and writing psalms and sharing his heart and learning to pray and learning to sing, learning to worship. That's what God wants for you and me. That's a heart after God, learning to have a heart of worship. Interesting that David, at the end of his life, very end of his life, at the end of 2 Samuel, his final words, this is how he describes himself. Not as a great warrior, not as a great king, not as a great leader. He says this. These are the last words of David. This is 2 Samuel 23, verse 1. David, the son of Jesse, declares, the man who was raised on high declares, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His Word was on my tongue. 
What David saw that was most important about him was that he was a psalmist, a worshiper of God. And think about it. He won some great victories. He built a great kingdom, but all that's gone. But what do we have of David's today? The Psalms. His heart of worship that got expressed in the Psalms that we still sing today, we still pray today, we still worship by today. What a great challenge for us. Are we developing a heart after God, a heart of worship, becoming true worshipers? Not just publicly when we come together, that's very important, it's valuable, but day by day, minute by minute, learning to have a heart of worship. In our men's retreat three weeks ago, we gathered together as men and we studied the Psalms, Psalms of David, and we studied several laments of him. And as David learned to share his pain with God and learn to worship God in that. And then we men gathered together and wrote our own psalms and we shared them in front of each other. Our psalms of lament, worship, for three hours. And there were tears. There were sharing. But you know what? We were drawn into the very presence of God through that. Through that heart of worship that we saw in one another. David is first and foremost a worshiper of God. So it's most important about him. There are some other things in the passage I just want to highlight. We also see about David, what it means to have a heart after God. I think secondly, we see that David has a heart of integrity. He's a man of good reputation. He has a heart of integrity. Notice verse 18. This servant of Saul, we don't know where he got this information. <laughs> we don't know how he learned this about David. But David, this little, this little shepherd boy who's probably 16 years old at this point, this is what he says about him. One of the young men, one of the servants said, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech and a handsome man. And the Lord is with him. Now, a lot of this seems pretty prophetic because David hasn't even been able to show what he can do yet very much. It's kind of amazing. We just don't know. The narrator doesn't tell us where he, this servant got that information. But it's clear that David already has a good reputation. He's already being seen as someone who has kingly attributes. And he's just a boy. Now, the opinions of others should not rule our lives. They don't determine a, the value of someone before God, clearly. But they do often indicate someone's character. If you look at someone's life, their reputation, it often reveals a lot. If you see someone driving a car and it's got dents all over it, you're probably not going to think they're a good driver. <laughs> what does your life look like to others? Are you trustworthy? Are you one that they would see as having integrity? So the accusations would just slide off because of course they would never do that. Jesus, as he was growing, even as a boy, it was said about him, that he was growing in favor with God and with man. 
elders are chosen, it says, because they are to be men of good character and that's evident by their reputation in the body of Christ. People who are respected for their integrity, their honesty, their truthfulness, their love for others. That's having a heart after God. Being a person of integrity, heart of integrity. Third, we see that David has a servant's heart, a servant's heart. Notice verse 19, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who's with the flock. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a jug of wine, sent David with this as an errand boy essentially. It says David came to Saul and stood before him. That means he served as a servant before him. So you see that David has a servant heart. He's out tending the sheep as a servant. He becomes the errand boy for his father as a servant. And he serves Saul in whatever way Saul wants him to serve. That says a lot about David's heart. See, a, a, a heart after God is a heart that, that is a servant heart, willing to give myself away, not selfish, but willing to serve others. Jesus said that was his heart. It always has been and it still is his heart. The Son of Man, Jesus says in Mark 10, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I was talking recently to a young couple and they were having marital struggles They weren't getting along real well and it kind of became clear as to why they were struggling so much. The young man said to me, he said, you know, I know if I worked hard, if I really worked at it, I could make her happy. But then I would be unhappy. And I know she wouldn't want that. (laughs) So he was living a very, very, very selfish life. (laughs) Well, that's common thinking in our day, isn't it? I've got to take care of myself. And we all fall into that sometimes. But the truth is, biblical truth, is that when we serve others, we get blessed. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's a spiritual truth. It's a spiritual principle that when you give yourself away, if you lose your life, you will save it. But if you seek to save your life, in the end you lose it. You destroy it. You become unhappy. (laughs) Blessed are those. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Happy. It's more happy to give than to receive. And David is showing us that kind of heart. That's the kind of heart that God wants us to have. A servant heart. A heart that's willing to give and serve. David, now think for a minute. David's been anointed king. He's the rightful king before God. And yet he's willing to serve his own family who has hurt him. He's willing to serve this king who, is, who has been rejected by God himself. The happiest people I know are the greatest servants I know. So a heart after God is a servant heart. And then finally, fourth, I just want to highlight David is winsome. He has a winsome heart. What does that mean? That's kind of an old-fashioned word. Winsome means to be engaging, attractive, appealing, charming. Notice 
It says as soon as he comes into Saul's presence, Saul loves him, it says. He's delighted with him. He's drawn to him. He's attracted to him and he immediately makes him his servant in his own court. David was winsome. People were drawn to him. You see, I think that's a characteristic of having a heart after God. Christians should never turn people off. Christians should never be condemning or harsh or self-righteous. The truth is we are sinners saved by grace and we should long to extend that grace to other people. Even when they're mean to us, even when they don't treat us well, we are still, if we're believers, people that should, when people spend time with us, when they rub shoulders with us, they should walk away intrigued by your kindness, by your caring, by your winsomeness. I've seen Christians treat waiters harshly, demandingly, with anger. (laughs) I've seen Christians treat others, people that uh, align at the store, etc., be demanding and selfish. That should never happen, folks. People should rub shoulders with us and want to know more about us. That's a sign that you have a heart for God. So seek to be winsome. Seek to be someone that people want to be around. Jesus was. It says the sinners were drawn to him. The tax collectors were hanging around him all the time. There was something different about him. There was something winsome about him. That's a sign of having a heart after God. Well, what's the result of all this, of David having a heart after God? Well, we see in verse 23 and 24, it says, came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand. And commentators are convinced he wasn't just playing music, he was singing his psalms. And Saul would be refreshed and be well. And the evil spirit would depart from him. What's the result of having a heart after God, a worshiping heart, a winsome heart, a servant heart, heart of integrity? Well, David is able to drive out the darkness from this very dark man and bring God's life into that situation. That's what happens when we are people who have a heart after God. God uses us when we worship God privately, when we learn to really praise Him and give our hearts to Him and live in His presence daily. God will use us to drive out the darkness in our relationships, in our homes, in our jobs, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. Jesus said, Come to me, whoever is thirsty, and I will give you to drink, and out of you will flow rivers of living water so others can drink. That's a beautiful picture, I think, of what a heart after God is like. Now, just a word about the power of music. You notice that he uses music to drive out this evil spirit. And a great old saint, Joseph Addison, said, Music is the greatest good that mortals know. And all of heaven we have below. And Marianne Mix says, When we worship together as a community of living Christians, we do not worship alone. We worship with all the company of heaven something marvelous about music. 
It penetrates the very heart and soul, and it bridges the gap between earth and heaven. Music is powerful. Martin Luther says this about music, I have no pleasure in any man who despises music. (laughs) It's no invention of ours, it's a gift of God. I place it next to theology. Satan hates music. He knows how it drives the evil spirit out of us. Music is powerful. Now it can be used by Satan to do great harm with the wrong kinds of music. But music is also very powerful to bring healing and life, the very life of God, to us, to our hearts. David understood that. That's why he wrote so many psalms, so many songs. We don't have his music, but we do have his lyrics, and they are powerful. David had a heart like God's, and he reflects imperfectly the very heart of Jesus, who had even a clearer heart after God. And we today have the Spirit of God in us, so we can have a heart of worship, a heart after God, like David, like Jesus, if we will learn to be true worshipers of God. And if you want to know how to be a true worshiper of God, there's no better place to start than begin daily to read through the Psalms, to pray through the Psalms, to sing your way through the Psalms, because they are the very psalm book of a man after God's own heart. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we cry out to you. We confess we need to be people after your own heart. We let so many things distract us from worshiping you, whether it's the internet or TV or Facebook or whatever it might be, and we spend time with those things rather than with you. Lord, help us develop a heart of worship like David, that you might use us to drive out the darkness in this world and bring the light of your life to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.